personal views and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are their own and are not legal advice or official statements by their organizations. Hello, my name is Debbie Reynolds. They call me the Data Diva. This is the Data Diva Talks Privacy Podcast, where we discuss data privacy issues with industry leaders around the world with information that businesses need to know now. I have a special guest on the show today. His name is Michael Closey. He's a sports attorney who is involved in data rights and sports technology. Hello, Michael. Hello, Debbie. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm excited to have you on the show because you're you have such an uh, interesting niche in privacy as a, a sports attorney and looking at uh, data rights and things like that. So you and I met on LinkedIn. We've had several chats. I think we had some phone calls before. And you always send me really interesting articles uh, about sports and, uh, and and data privacy. So. Tell me a little bit about kind of how you ended up kind of merging your uh, your sports legal stuff with the the technology and data uh, data privacy uh, stuff. Sure. Yeah. Th- th- and again, thank you very much for for having me as a guest. It's a, it's an honor and a privilege. Um, so I'm, I'm a sports attorney and and been practicing law for for little little over two decades um and i was a former nfl player agent as a, as a sort of footnote so I, I played college sports so sports has been sort of part of the fabric of of, of who i am um personally but also professionally so it's a natural segue into some of the things i've done i've worked in banking but i've also practiced law and conventional law and, and, and business law real estate and corporate law for for several years, but I, again, I was a former NFL player agent for probably 13, 14, 15 years. I've represented a number of NFL players. I worked with former general counsel at the New England Patriots, Jack Mueller. He and I were partners in the agent business at a boutique firm here in Boston that was very famous, uh, Bob Wolf Associates. Uh, also, I've represented coaches, NFL coaches, uh, college coaches, and some NFL executives and and uh, front office folks. So um, I've also worked for a global marketing tech and management consulting firm, Publicis Sapient. Uh, they're, they're headquartered in Paris. They're one of the big three uh, advertising firms. Um, learned a lot about tech while I was there. Uh, and I was there for uh, prior to, to joining a startup last year in the blockchain space and, and was advising that blockchain group for about a year. And it allowed me to sort of segue back into meeting a lot of folks in the tech space, but also in the sports space and, and sort of uh, dusted off some of the uh, uh, my Rolodex and circle back to a lot of folks and started working and introducing myself and, and folks started connecting with me as I started to get uh, uh, again on LinkedIn, I think how we met. So sort of started to network on that and, just, just sort of, uh, sort of gained a real deep passion for the area of technology, but also data privacy and, and rights and athletes' rights as a player agent. You know, I saw a lot from both sides of the fence, and uh, just saw where I thought perhaps I could make a difference. And currently, I'm I'm working with uh, a Silicon Valley 
based company, uh, more so in the cybersecurity space that wants to segue into more of the data rights and, and uh, publicity rights space um, with tech solutions. Um, and I'm also involved with some uh, colleagues over in the UK who are involved in some, some pretty significant, important uh, data rights issues for athletes as well. So, so I'm certainly busy. So it's, it's, it's exciting and I'm passionate about the area. And, and again, uh, perhaps as a slight idealist, uh, I certainly want to make a difference. So, yeah, I think sports is fascinating in the privacy area uh, because, you know, as you mentioned, obviously there are kind of publicity rights, but then also in sports, athletes have to share more of their health information. And so that can be, you know, a slippery slope as well, right? In terms of what's private and what's not. Uh, and then two, you're dealing with athletes of all different ages. So depending on where they are and how old they are, certain rules may apply. Can you tell me a little bit about that in terms of just kind of the, the, the health angle? Yeah, sure. So, so I think, you know, that sort of gets into the whole area of, of what I think you and I have, have discussed in the past and also shared some of the articles on some of the uh, technology now that is collecting a lot of this data, so uh, which involves a lot of sensitive medical data. So, you know, just a, as a sort of uh, laying the groundwork and, and perhaps to, to educate some of your listeners, some of which may know of this, I mean, you have obviously the federal law, the, the HIPAA law, which is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act that was implemented and ratified in 1996. Uh, that's a federal law that addresses the use of personal health information. Um, you know, that provides certain privacy protections for personal health information, uh, including the prohibition of sharing info without consent. So that that's that's sort of a, an interesting um, part of, of, of this construct, if you will, uh, because as, as anyone that knows about HIPAA, um, you know, hospitals, physician group, health plans, and medical billing companies, um, you, you go into, into your doctor's office, uh, you know, they can't share that information, right? So it's sensitive medical information about you. So, but there, there's, it's, it's not a blanket immunity. So, What's interesting is, is as it relates to sports, you have employers, state and local law enforcement and most state agencies and schools that are exceptions to, to HIPAA. So as part of that, you have a lot of the professional sports leagues now, um, you know, many of the athletes sign contracts waiving their privacy rights regarding information about their health and performance. And part of that is involving some of the technology that we've talked about regarding wearable tech, RFID trackers. And that collects some pretty sensitive information. And so, um, for example, the team doctors uh, for a sports league, so let's say for the NFL or the NHL, so the team doctors are really essentially agents of the employer. And the data collected must be for health and, and purposes and not for performance. So that's, a, that's another caveat to, to, to that as well. So it really gets into some really interesting sort of gray areas that have not really been resolved. And I think the 1996 HIPAA law is somewhat antiquated and needs to, I think it certainly needs to be taken a look uh, at a little bit more closely and perhaps uh, there needs to be some, uh, some remedies to that 
as well as a side note. <clears throat> but I think the the issue with that, I think, is it's really important to remember that um, collecting a lot of this data, the teams, the schools, as I mentioned to you earlier, as employers, state local law enforcement, but also state agencies, but also I think I noted schools, right? So colleges are able to collect this information, and so they're they're able to collect this information, and where does it go? This information, this data, right. and it 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 sort of sits there somewhere and um, it's being used and it's right. being monetized. And so hopefully that answers your question, but that mm-hmm. uh, I think that's certainly a part of it. Um, and the biometric wearable devices collect uh, a lot of that information. It's worth noting too. I mean, Google spent 2.1 billion to buy Fitbit. That, that's something I was thinking about last night, sort of entering into this call. I mean, that, that should, underscore the larger point here mm-hmm. if google is buying fitbit for 2.1 billion dollars that should tell you about where where the wind is blowing where right. where the wearable technology space is going so yeah. just wanted to throw that in there yeah i agree with that um you know it's a it's a different ball of wax so all of this has to do with kind of consent of the individual like what the individual is willing to consent to and then having tech companies move into health areas, you know, because they own those companies, some of that stuff, especially, you know, Fitbit, uh, information collected by a Fitbit is not covered by HIPAA because it's a consumer, you know, it's not not a health portability or it's not a patient provider situation. So that information is uh, only covered by kind of the consumer rights, not Mm -hmm. kind of the medical rights. But, you know, I'm, you know, you're the sports expert. I don't pretend to be a sports expert. But the thing that I notice a lot about sports is that when people are talking about athletes, they're talking very freely about the health of athletes. And that's part of how they get evaluated for, you know, uh, you know, teams or, you know, insurance or, uh, you, you know, pay and you've been an agent. So, you know, sort of how this thing goes. So I think, you, you know, where, where, where is the line, I guess. So there are certain things that athletes have to disclose about their, you know, physicality and their health as part of, you know, being, you know, in, in sport, right? Because I hear a lot of people when they're talking about uh, athletes, they're talking a lot about, you know, their injuries, you know, their issues that they're having. And then obviously there there are things that they will probably want to keep private, but I wonder where where is that line? Because I feel like they give a lot of information about their health. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Debbie. I, I, I think therein lies the challenge, right? So that's what I've been struggling with as I've been uh, involved in this space for the last two, two and a half years. Um, really struggling reading a lot of law review articles, immersed in the space, former player agent, following the law, following common sense, or following some of the medical issues, sort of the wearable tech space, the evolving tech space, really, that's moving in a direction that's um, really becoming sophisticated. Um, I, I think the issues here, uh, if, if I may, if I could focus on the U.S., for example, 
I, th- I think a lot of what is controlled is by the unions with the respective sports. So, you know, you have the big four, big five, arguably with, uh, with MLS, with, with soccer as well. Um, uh, you know, the, the collective bargaining agreements really control as the, and as you know, that they're, they're labor agreements between management and the players unions and the unions are there to protect the players rights, health, wellness, um, of the players, their rights, their, 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 their ability to monetize, uh, who they are, their publicity rights, uh, uh licensing agreements, et cetera. So it, it's, it's, it's all, uh, it's all a business construct, right? But it's also the unions are there to protect the players where I think where it's moving in the direction where I'm sort of monitoring and following some of the collective bargaining agreements that really the terms and conditions and the provisions within these collective bargaining agreements really set the table for what's going on right now here in the U S. So, you know, you've got the, the, the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, major league baseball and MLS, and some of the provisions within the collective bargaining agreements, some have been moving in the direction where I think are beneficial to the players some of which I think are a little dated. I think some of the, the CBAs are, are for renewal. Um, I believe the, I think it's the NHL or MLB, I think are, I think the negotiations are still continuing. And I, I think the expiration date on the NHL is 2022, if I'm not mistaken, and the MLB as well. I think they're right around the corner. The NFL, uh, for example, however, ratified their collective bargaining agreement last year in March of 2020. And, and I think that one is, is certainly worth noting. Um, I, I think, you know, what, what they've done is they've addressed the issue, which you know, certainly makes sense because some of these collective bargaining agreements are negotiated over a period of time. I, I think the agreements themselves last a considerable amount of time. So things change within that period of time. Um, so the NFL in particular is, is really interesting because again, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, they um, uh, were able to ratify the, the collective bargaining agreement last year in, in March of 2020, as I noted, but it's a 10 year agreement, right? So a lot of stuff can happen within 10 years. A lot of stuff can happen within two years, the way technology is moving right now. So, you know, one of the interesting things I noted as I was reading some of the NFL collective bargaining agreement, which I read in its entirety last year, all 480 pages of, of, of pretty boring stuff to most people. But what I what I noticed in there was the the provisions, including or as it relates to athlete biometric data. And so, you know, for, for, for the purposes of, of education and, and people listening who don't know, athlete biometric data is is sort of a subcategory of, of biometrics, which is an individual's physiological, biological, or behavioral characteristics, um, including DNA that can be used uh, in combination with other or other identifying data to establish individual identity. That, that's really important to remember. So athlete biometric data, again, is a subset of that and it, it deals with the acceleration, body composition, speed, cardiac heart rate, uh, body fat, reaction time, temperature, blood, urine, things like that. Sleep. I mean, you've got Whoop, which is a company here based in Boston. You know, they're, they're famous. They do a really good job. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, I think, I think part of that is, 
you know, so they've included language within the provisions of these collective bargaining agreements. And with the NFL, as I noted, I, I think it's worth noting that I was reading it very carefully. And again, I sort of took a peek at it again last night. And I was looking at sort of uh, get into the weeds and the minutia, but Article 12 contained in the NFL collective bargaining agreement noted Section 14 regarding censors. So they use the word censors. Right. So you can argue it's wearable technology, you know, sort of used inter words used interchangeably to right. describe some of the, the technology. Right. So um, but the, the, the sensors, they, they use this sort of language that's really interesting that I found. And, and again, I, I know folks at the NFL as a, uh, an agent. I dealt with a lot of management. I, I know folks at the league office. Um, I, I think they do a terrific job and they're in the business of making money. But what I find on um, the, the words mean a lot, right? So these things are binding and they're, they're legally um, enforceable, the regulations um, and they're essentially bylaws, right? So <clears throat> um, some of the language I looked at one in particular was regarding the censors. And I saw, I took note of this and I wrote it down. NFL may use data concerning players performance and movements collected from censors during NFL games commercially including but not limited to with broadcast partners. So if you think about that, oh, wow. and that's fine. But, you know, two sides sort of argue, you know, little give and take, certainly over years of, of collectively bargaining over a labor agreement. It's, it's a lot of give and take. But if you think about the words of that sentence, it certainly opens up the areas of how, including but not limited to, so the words commercially, et cetera, broadcast partners. Well, broadcast partners right now are sort of wedded to the media, the, the data companies, the OTT digital platforms, the gambling operators. So therefore, you know, you sort of ask yourself, well, the, the, the data that's being collected on the players, is this being bundled, aggregated, disseminated, sold to, to the uh, third party partners, uh, that have relationships with the league. So, you know, I don't want to go too far off the rails here, but I think, I think you get my point. It's, it's, right. it's a really right. strong one in the sense that uh, some of the leagues and the collective bargaining agreements really dictate what's going on here in the U S. Yeah. So what's happening right now in sports privacy that is uh, concerning you? I, I think there's, Folks like you and others that we both know in the data privacy space that aren't necessarily quite in the sports space, but have taken note. Folks that I know <clears throat> that I chat with often who, who sort of uh, provide me with insights into the GDPR and some of the provisions within the GDPR, some of the new provisions within the CCPA, the, the second iteration CPRA, BIPA, some of the, the more the state laws here, obviously you're following them as well, and uh, as am I, um, some of the, the, the bills that are being submitted at the federal level as well. W what frustrates me is, is that we know, we know that there's some challenges in Washington, right? So there's, there's not a whole lot of bipartisan legislation going on right now. So that, that's certainly stalling legislation at the federal level. I, I think what we really need is a federal privacy bill similar to GDPR that would harmonize the data privacy laws for all citizens here in the U.S., similar to the GDPR. 
I've sometimes feel like we're we're sort of inching closer. I've taken a look at all the various bills. I sort of look at the the highlights contained in some of these bills. And it frustrates me because I I, I sort of see them stalling within the the, uh, legislative uh, process. And that 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 gives me sort of some concern as it relates to sports. I, I do think there are really strong advocates uh, on the that that are sort of representative of of labor unions, um, and I think they're taking note of the significance of where wearable technology and data, data rights, and data governance, and data rights for for athletes are. And I think I think they're certainly pushing. Those I'd like to see more of it, quite frankly, where uh, advocates and attorneys sort of take a deeper look into the granular aspects and see the overlap with it within some of the privacy rights that we often talk about and read about and write about. You and I, um, you know, I'd like to see those maybe more concentrated and explored more deeply because, but because I think that's where it's a, a lot of this is heading as it relates to, for example, sports betting which is a huge revenue producer for major sports here in the U S and with the uh, advent of 5g technology, I think you're going to see a lot more betting the volume of betting. And as a result of that, consequently uh, the uh, data, I think you're going to see an exponential amount of volume of data uh, as a result of in-play prop betting, they call it. Um, so you'll be able to sort of bet with the 5G technology, which is 100 times faster approximately than the current 4G technology. Okay. You know, they're configuring a lot of the stadiums now. So sports betting is a big part of this construct for the business folks. And I think that's part of going back to what I was talking about with the NFL and the sensors and some of the regulations within the provisions that are interestingly tucked way in the back of the collective bargaining <laughs> agreement. Um, <laughs> so the devil's in the details, Debbie. Yeah. You know, um, you touch on a lot of great points. Um, I guess the thing that concerns me about legislation and, you know, I've seen, you know, as you've seen, I've seen a lot of people put up bills to end up getting stalled and stuff like that. And so, for me, of course, I, I like to look to see kind of what's happening, but I kind of want people to bake the cake first <laughs> before, right. you know, I kind of go into it. So I want to see the bill passed and this final version to go over it. But I think, you know, one, one thing that concerns me greatly about the way that legislation gets passed uh, here in the U.S. and uh, probably other places, too, is that unfortunately some a lot of these laws are very reactionary so it's like this harm occurred and we don't think it should have occurred so let's create this law and then i'm you know the reason why i'm really concerned about this is when you're doing things with people's biometrics and you know uh, their information in that way you know the harm can be almost immediate and catastrophic right so you may not be able to wait for a court process to get redressed for those types of things. Correct. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really great point because you and I are pro- probably following some of the, the legal cases that are going on right now that'll s- sort of have a, a, a 
great deal of significance um, and are very relevant to a lot of the topics that we're discussing right now, even though some of them are not really sports related. I, I do know, for example, with, with the, um, in the UK, there's a sports case, uh, Project Red Card, where uh, 750 plus footballers right now are in the process of illegal action uh, for their uh, uh, data rights uh, as a result of a lot of what we talked about with performance data. And then it, it deals with the issues of keeping it simple with consent and the issues of GDPR. I also think Lloyd versus Google is a really important one that I'm sure you're following and as well as many others. That's a huge case that uh, uh, went before the uh, appeals court uh, in the UK. And, and, and as people probably on this call know, it's uh, on behalf of, uh, I think it's probably 4 million, maybe you know uh, exactly, that are affected individuals in England and Wales. And, and I remember there was an interesting quote, and I'm trying to remember it, but it, it sort of talked about the wholesale and deliberate misuse of personal data without consent. I think that was... Uh, uh, I'm paraphrasing, hopefully, maybe trying to quote, uh, sort of undertaking with 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 the objective of commercialization, if if, if that if that is correct. But I think I think the uh, if if I'm, I'm close to being accurate, I think, but that I think that really is significant because that sort of segues into the loss of control and the issues of what we're talking about, and as you noted earlier in a, in a very powerful way, this sort of reactionary type of uh, framework that exists right now. And, and that's part of what I'm trying to do with some of the initiatives that I'm involved with that appeal to me at this stage of my life with sort of background in sports and business and law. And I see this reactionary model as, I'm not saying it's futile, but I think it's, um, it's fraught with challenges. So I think, I think it's more of, to, to quote my, my good friend, Richard Dutton in the UK, front foot, as I, as he often says, and I, I'll quote him. Um, and I think that's really a profound statement because I think that sort of illustrates where I think we should be thinking as professionals in this space as being more proactive rather than reactive. So I really respect the people that are involved in, in implementing technology, also tapping into legislators to shape legislation that'll be more proactive rather than reactive. And also looking at perhaps some other solutions uh, that are some people are pretty creative and, and sort of looking at different things where you can protect the data rights of individuals that are more proactive rather than reactive. So, so again, Richard Dutton, front foot. Um, and, and I think that data trust is one of them. That's an interesting one that I just discovered a couple months ago in an article. And I'm in chats with some folks over in the UK about that initiative. Uh, it's called the data trust initiative in the UK with some, some uh, super folks at Cambridge university that are looking into that. So, um, it's a little above my pay grade right now and it's in its infant stages, but, but, but those are some interesting thoughts as, uh, as to your point in terms of, uh, trying to be proactive as, uh, versus reactive. Yeah. You sent me a fascinating article a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think the title is biometric data is the new st statistical frontier 
for sports books and betters. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about this? This is eye, very eye-opening to me because I didn't, you know, obviously people who do sports betting, they try to use, as, you know, as much information as they can get, right? But I didn't realize that they would delve deep into biometric data. Yeah, I think biometric data is, is, is a fascinating subset. And I think um, let's, let's sort of break it down to its simplest uh, baseline. Athletes produce the product. They, they, they're the grist that moves the wheel, right? So the, the athlete data, uh, the way they move, the way they, uh, they, they kick a ball or whether you have a field goal, some of this athlete data is very valuable to the broadcasters and the gambling operators, especially as 5G takes place and in-play betting takes place. So for example, uh, think of it as a hypothetical. So we have a golf tournament uh, this weekend in Ohio, the Colonial. Um, so if you have, say, Jordan Spieth, so soon, I think within the next year or so, you're seeing it moving in that direction. Um, you're going to see apps and you're also going to see with the 5G technology sort of taking place geographically and being more ubiquitous uh, around the country and also uh, geographically th throughout the, the, the world, really. Um, I think you're going to see more of, of some of this in-play betting. So, for example, Jordan Speed could be sitting over a putt eight feet, two inches. And there'll be the algorithms with the 5G moving at, at speeds that are very similar to the way you see in milliseconds. Um, trading in the financial markets. You're going to see that at such speeds that the algorithms are going to be pumped out to your phone within an app, and they're going to be taking those that data, and they're going to be using it to create the algorithms that then create the betting odds where you're going to be able to bet on a percentage of whether or not Jordan Spieth is going to make that putt as a sort of micro bet in a microcosm within the larger construct of the entire tournament. So you, you're going to see the volume of betting increase. You're going to see uh, that's only going to increase the commercial value, I think, of, of broadcasters. It's going to increase fan engagement. There is a downside to it, you know, I might add. So, you know, you have problem gambling. So, you know, that's an issue that has to be addressed. I think some of the data providers uh, that also work in the integrity services as well, Genius Sports and Sport Radar. They do a really good job in terms of the integrity services. But again, it's it's the volume of data. It's really hard to find a needle in a haystack. But but again, the you know the technology is pretty sophisticated to try and catch some of that stuff. So so it's really um, it, it's really something. I, I would also sort of encourage people. I, I know most people don't want to really read uh, law review articles. But if, if you want to read an interesting one that I just read about two weeks ago, and it came out, um, uh, I think it was maybe, maybe Florida State Law Review. I'm not sure I'm just, if I've said that incorrectly. I'm, I apologize to, to the school and the Law Review. But it was John Holden, who's a professor at Oklahoma, and also Kimberly Hauser. Uh, they wrote a, a Law Review article, Taboo Trans Transactions, uh, Selling Athlete Biometric Data which really sort of gets into the, the, the areas of how data is being sold and how athlete biometric data is a valuable commercialized commodity. Um, and I think 
that would educate some of your viewers if someone wanted to to go through 63 pages or so of of some of that. But but I'm sort of giving you the Cliff Notes version. It really gets into the areas of of uh, of how data is really used in the gambling markets. And and trust me, it's it's extremely valuable. And um, the traffic and the commercialization and the and, and the price points of of the partners that are involved. Um, it, it's it's very big business. It just need it just needs to be carefully regulated, and it just needs to be monitored so so it it doesn't get out of control. And the athletes uh, are also not not uh, removed from getting their sort of slice of the pie, if you will. Right. Yeah. Right. Because that brings in algorithms and transparency and what they're doing with the data and how it's being transferred, especially to third parties. So this is a worldwide issue that we're seeing pop up in cases. So. You know, I know you've seen some of the cookie cases in the EU and stuff like that, but all that really is about third-party data sharing without consent of the individual. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, fortunately for the EU, they have, you know, laws uh, for that. We have some state laws in the U.S. Uh, regarding that, um, and I'm hoping to see more, but kind of the third-party data sharing without consent to me is like a huge issue in the future. You know, something that's going on now uh, that will impact that. So I, I feel like the regulations are going in the opposite direction. Uh, so com- countries and uh, states and cities that are passing these privacy regulations almost all of them address kind of this third party transfer, whether it be opt-in or opt-out, you know, how you get consent. We're seeing, uh, you know, big companies like Google and Apple sort of shift their risk on third party data sharing where they're Mm -hmm. saying, you know, third party, if you want more granular data about an individual, you have to, you know, get consent for that person, you know, so it's sort of like a separation between, you know, the first party data collectors. So like you, like you have a customer uh, relationship with a, with a organization. So, so you have more, they have more agency, right. And what they can do with the data because you've sort of consented to whatever their product or service is. And then you have kind of these, what I call tag-alongs, where they want mm-hmm. to benefit from that relationship. So basically, the, the trend is that these companies don't want to have the risk. They don't want to assume the risk of a third party when they can have the third party develop their own relationship. And then the flip side of that is that a lot of these third parties are invisible for a reason, <laughs> mm-hmm, right? Correct. Like they don't want to be seen. They don't want to be known. Um, so I think to me, that means that if these companies can't create a first party relationship with someone, they're going to monetize. They're going to try to entice people with money or incentives of some sort to share data. What are your thoughts? I, I think I think you're spot on, Debbie. I, I I think these third-party organizations, like for example, television broadcasting companies, sports betting operators, fantasy sports companies, 
they're they're really chomping at the bit to include data from wearables in their their business offerings. Um, but I think there's there's a movement I think in the area, however, uh, of folks like you and and others who are sort of giving voice to folks that really go about their lives and really don't follow this stuff very closely. So I, I'll sort of pivot in a way that's it's relevant, but I think what's important to remember is, as you noted, the, the, the consent issue. That's really critical, right? So the Lloyd versus Google, I, I, I think, I think the, the really underlying issues of that were, were loss of control, right? So, um, you know, I also think too, with the, 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 the sports legal action in the UK with the footballers, Project Red Card, I think you've got similarly issues of, of control, right? Loss of control and also consent, but also informed consent, you know, which is, which is uh, uh, you know, often people use the word and throw it around consent, but they, they don't add that, that sort of informed consent part of the equation as well. So it's, it's really the way a lot of these agreements are tailored and drafted which, which provide a lot of air cover for, for various enterprises, um, given the wording that they use and, and some sophisticated lawyering, if you will. So I expect future litigation against teams, leagues, third-party vendors, and I think some of the issues will be scope of waiver, undue influence, capacity con- to contract, and, and also, most importantly, the informed consent um, part of that equation. So I, 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 I think that's just important to sort of flush out you know, some of these uh, cases, uh, I'm not saying I'm an advocate one way or the other, but I think sometimes litigation just sort of forces the issues. I think you've got the issue here with name and his likeness before the Supreme Court where, where uh, the NCA versus Alston case. I, I think these, these sort of allow precedents to establish future um, precedents as to how people are going to handle these type of issues. So as college athletes, which is maybe a segue into the area of what I talked about earlier, in terms of, of, of younger folks, consent of minors, right? So if you're under a certain age and certain, um, I know in the GDPR, I believe there, there's language as a result, as, as a consequence of, of minors giving their consent. I think you have issues also within the footballers within various contracts and also some of the wearable language as well. Um, you know, I, I think that gets overlooked. I think some of the players that play over there, some of which are under the age of 18. So, you know, and then you've got to really look at the protection of not only athletes, but amateur athletes, consumers, right. uh, college athletes, right? And you need protections for them. The, the, the pros have their unions, their uh, players' unions that protect their interests. College athletes, who do they have? Who are they going to turn to? They're going right. to turn to their schools, the people internally, they may not have the sort of level, they don't have the time really, or, or, I mean, they're handling a myriad of issues, they're spending lots of plates. And, and so the players often get left, left answering questions and sitting there dumbfounded asking, what do I do? My niece played uh, division one soccer at university of Florida. And, you know, if, if some of our teammates are wearing, wearing wearable technology, and that technology is being used to collect data and then it's aggregated. And then where is it going? Where is it being stored? Well, what, right. ab- what about the cybersecurity issues 
the protection of that data. Um, you know, those are really critical issues that need to be addressed as well. And um, as you know, and I've listened to, to your podcast, um, that's an issue I think you're passionate about. I mean, data breaches are ubiquitous now. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a challenge. It's, it's a real issue. And some of this data with these athletes is, 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 is pretty sensitive. Right. So you know, you're heading into a Super Bowl or a World Cup or just a game in general, a Major League Baseball game, and, and you, you breach into a person's uh, uh, personal website or, or, or their emails and it's a hack. Uh, you get some pretty interesting stuff uh, that's private in nature. Right. And, uh, you know, they can certainly use that to, to leverage and, and the fairest actors can, can take advantage of that. Yeah. This is a huge area. I have to have you back. We can talk a little bit more about some of the other cases and see how they, they turn out uh, down the road. But if it was the world, according to you, Michael, and we would do everything you say, what would be your wish for privacy, uh, either in the, the U.S., around the world, anything to do with sports, technology, anything? Well, I think it goes back. Maybe this gets into the weeds a little bit, but I sort of follow the history of of, of the privacy, the the origins, the origins of protecting human dignity and privacy. So, in a perfect world, you you go back to the German right of uh, personality. I know we spoke before we hopped on the call, and I and I think that could sort of get into the weeds with some folks and lose people. But I think it's really important to remember the genesis of some of the scholars and and courts that influence some of the, the personality rights, but also human dignity and the, uh, as, as Tara Taubman often says to me, um, and as many others, and I believe it, uh, privacy is a fundamental human right, which, which was, uh, I believe, ratified in 1948 in the UN uh, with the UN Council um, d- during that, uh, that gathering. So, I think that's really important, uh, the right to be left alone under the Warren and Brandeis, uh, the right to privacy, the seminal uh, Harvard Law Review article in 1898, I think it was, um, with Louis Brandeis and Samuel Warren, as everyone knows, Brandeis went on to serve on the Supreme Court. Uh, uh, you know, I also think Prosso was very influential with, with his uh, uh, torts, and he was uh, former dean of the School of Law at the University of California at Berkeley, and, and he certainly was a, a leader and, and sort of authority on, on torts here in the U.S. Uh, you, you know, there's there's so much there, but I think I'll sort of maybe summarize it in a way that I think um, Shoshana Zuboff, reading her book and listening to her, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, I think she, she sort of nails it in a more modern context where surveillance capitalism is sort of the the new logic of accumulation, I think she noted. And, you know, I I think in some ways um, it's, we've got our challenges right now. It's daunting. There's a lot of money and power happening right now in big tech and big data. But I think as as people sort of like you and, and others, and I like to play a small role in that, sort of challenge some of the status quo, and 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 try and uh, move the needle back to privacy and and, and data rights. Um, I I think um, that that's that's sort of my objective. That's where I want to go. Perhaps in a, a a perfect world. I'm not sure if there is one, but mm-hmm. as close to it as possible. 
and and I'm trying to do everything in my power to sort of uh, move the needle back in the direction of empowering the uh, consumers, but also um, as a subcontext, the athletes. Very good, Michael. This is great. This is great. I was really excited to have you on the show because I, I love what you're doing in sports and trying to you know pull it together. A lot of people probably aren't watching this area as closely as as you're watching it, but you know, um, it's it's very important. Um, I think. You know, as you say, because there's so much, you know, money involved in this, it'll probably be something that will kind of escalate pretty fast. Right. Uh, You know, more so than uh, than kind of data rights and wearable things with uh, ordinary consumers, because we know that, you know, they're tracking, you know, the, the health and well-being of athletes for, you know, not just for health purposes. So I think this is really interesting. Well, it's been my pleasure. Uh, it's been super exciting, and 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 I'm I'm happy to share whatever I can to help contribute to the to the discourse and and help t- sort of empower people to understand a little bit more about this area, and certainly on on the athlete and sports side as a sort of niche practice. Um, I'm I'm sort of excited and passionate about the area, so whatever I can do to help, um, I, I'm I'm certainly uh, I'm sort of incentivized to do so yeah well thank you so much i'm happy to have you on the show this is a great uh episode i think people will really enjoy it and um you know we'll still keep in touch on linkedin and you always send me interesting articles so keep that up i like those (laughs) absolutely debbie i'll I'll certainly stay in touch and reach out anytime and it's my pleasure and thanks again it's been an honor being on your show and and uh I look forward to to hopping on again at some point in the future. All right, Michael. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks so much, Debbie. Have a great day. Thank you.